here we are, we're kind of, we're in between series, obviously between teaching series, and we wrapped up uh, in Romans a couple weeks ago, and my plan is this, we're going to dive into Philippians next, um, but we have our, our conference next week, and so, you know, I didn't want to introduce a new series and then be pausing, hitting the pause button right away next week, and so I just kind of was sensing when the Lord took us in a different direction last week, um, that we should just build off of some of that conversation. And so last week we looked at the current, you know, situation in, in Syria and what the Bible prophesies about the future of Damascus. And we were just kind of reminded as we looked at Bible prophecy that Jesus is in control of the nations. That just as he, he walked on the Sea of Galilee and he spoke peace in the storm, so Jesus rules over the thrashings of this world, man. He rules over the thrashings of the Sea of Nations. And, um, and he can speak peace in the midst of it. And, and, you know, as I was just thinking about that, I was thinking about different things, our citizenship in heaven, awaiting for King Jesus, and, and, and just of the fact that so often as, as followers of Jesus, we adopt this earthly perspective, this worldview that can kind of be somewhat earthly and fleshly when what we're called is to have is to have the perspective of heaven, right? To live as citizens of heaven, to not be fleshly, earthly minded, but rather to be heavenly minded, and the truth is, is when we look at the scripture and we see this so much in the New Testament that, that the heavenly mind is actually the true reality for us as followers of Jesus. It's hard to get there because we're, our feet are here planted on this earth. But the scripture tells us at the same time we're seated in the heavenly realms with Christ. And so our perspective should be that of heaven rather than that of earth. When Jesus told the parable in Matthew chapter 25, you remember that parable that he told about the 10 virgins, the five that were prepared and ready and the five that weren't? Those that were prepared were watching and they were, they, they, he spoke, he told this story about the virgins who had their lamps trimmed. They were filled with oil. And obviously, you know, when you think back to the days of Jesus, it's like turning on the light wasn't as simple as just for us flick the switch, right? You had to have your lamp. You had to have the oil in there. The wick had to be trimmed and, and ready to go and prepared. And the outward flame of light that was burning was lit. It was sourced by this inner source, oil. It's a picture of the Holy Spirit, this inward power source. And so as I've been just thinking about um, Bible prophecy and kind of where we've been and, and some of these things that I'm mentioning this morning with regards to being heavenly minded and our citizenship. Um, it's exciting when you talk about this stuff because it brings, for me, to the forefront the reality of the return of Christ and his second coming. And you know, anyone who reads the Bible, if you, if you spend any time reading the Bible and you take it seriously and you read it and you say, I have to look at this literally and try to understand these things. As you do that, you cannot help but come across the fact that the Bible teaches about the second coming of Jesus, that it's, that it's real, that he is going to physically come a second time just as he came the first time. And Jesus promised his disciples 
that as he was going, he said, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And then I will come again. I will return and I will take you to be with myself that you may be where I am. Now, as followers of Jesus, that coming of Jesus and that coming of Jesus to come and to take his church to be with him, that we would be where he is, we refer to that as what? The rapture. The rapture. And if you were to simply look up the word rapture in the dictionary, uh, typically the first definition that you would find in, in, in a normal dictionary would be something along this line. Rapture. A feeling of intense pleasure or joy. And as followers of Jesus, I would just say this. The word rapture really, I mean, that's not our definition. That's not the first thing that comes to mind for us because there's all sorts of other pictures that come to mind for us when we think of the word rapture. Because for us as followers of Jesus, it speaks of being caught up in the air to meet the Lord at his coming. Uh, to meet Jesus, which would bring that experience that the, def that the dictionary speaks of. A, a feeling of intense pleasure or joy. And so maybe I just ask you this for a moment. okay? Just to give you something to think about for a second. To ponder what comes to mind for you. When you hear the word rapture, when you think of rapture, what do you picture? What do you envision? What scripture comes to mind? You know, for me, when I think about it, there's, there's hardly a word in, in Christianity, it seems, in Christendom that, that is surrounded with more mystery, that's surrounded with more opinion, <laughs> And, and so this morning, what I thought we would do is this, is what we're going to do is just consider some of the New Testament passages that should frame our concept and our understanding of the rapture because the Bible very, very clearly teaches about the rapture. It's impossible to deny. And it, it's totally impossible to deny what, what the debate around the rapture is what? to do with its timing. And we know that there's all sorts of different points of views on the timing. This morning, I'm not going to spend time talking about the timing, but we're going to talk about what is the rapture. And so if you got your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 14, okay? John 14. And let's pray as we come to God's word. Lord, this morning, uh, we thank you that we can take time, Lord, to just, search your word, that we can take time to consider the fact that you've promised that you're going to prepare a place for us, that you've promised you would come and you would take us to be with you where you are. And so Lord, we just ask now this morning as we just consider these things that you'd give us a spirit of wisdom, Lord, spirit of revelation. We want to know you better, Lord. We want to know about more about our relationship with you. And so this morning, God, I just ask that you give us insight and understanding in Jesus' name. Amen. Right on. John, John chapter 14 is really um, the place where we would say this. It's the first promise of the rapture in the scripture. We see the idea of, of the rapture foreshadowed in the Old Testament or the Bible sets patterns for us to 
observe. It's always really cool to look at the patterns of scripture. One of the pictures of the rapture that we see is in the book of Genesis, right? Early on in the Bible, in the story of Enoch. Um, if you're familiar with that, it's just, it's just a couple lines in, in the book of Genesis where we're told Enoch walked with God and then he was no more. That he was just gone. That just one day, Enoch was gone. He disappeared. And, and really, the idea is this is he was, he was raptured. He was caught up. He was taken into the presence of God. And the amazing thing about Enoch's experience was this, is that Enoch never experienced death. Elijah is another one who we see in the scripture. You know, you know the story of him. He's walking with Elisha. And then they are separated. A chariot of fire, fire comes between them and separates them. And then Elijah is caught up and he is taken up into heaven. And Elisha watches the whole thing happen. And again, like Enoch, Elijah is raptured into the presence of God without ever experiencing death. There's Jesus in the New Testament who ascended into heaven. Now, his experience is different than Enoch and Elijah because Jesus experienced death. He, he had to die on the cross. He died on that cross. He was buried in that tomb and he rose from the dead. And the scripture says that he is the first fruits of the resurrection. That death could not hold him because he was sinless. And so he ascended into heaven. Acts chapter 1, right? Before the eyes of his disciples, they observed it. They watched it happen. They saw him ascend into heaven and disappear into the clouds. And Acts chapter 1 tells us that two angels appeared as they were watching Jesus disappear. And those angels declared to them that this same Jesus would come again. And he would come in the same pattern with which he had departed. He would come in the clouds. And so as we turn here to John chapter 14, this is really the first promise of the rapture that Jesus gives to his disciples. Check it out. He says this, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that you may be, that where I am you may be also. Now, this is, this is the night that Jesus was betrayed. He's sitting there with his disciples. He's teaching them. And when the disciples first heard that Jesus was going away, we, we just see in, in the gospel accounts that they reacted with fear. They reacted with concern. They were dismayed. Because he had quickly become to them their everything, their Lord. What were they going to do without him? And so Jesus comforted his disciples with this promise. He said, I will come again and I will take you to be with me. Take you to myself that where I am you may be also. And so Jesus described to those 12 his plan to come and to take his closest followers to be with him. Now this is important because when I read this, what this tells me is this. Is that the prom that promise of Jesus to come and to take his followers to come and take us to be with him is meant to be a promise of comfort. Look at that. Let not your hearts be troubled, he says. Don't be troubled. 
about the things that are going on around you, this is to be a source of comfort. I am coming again, and I will take you to be I, 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 with me. I, I will depart, I will go, but I will come again, and I will take you that you may be where I am also. And Jesus told the 12 where he was going. He said, I'm going to the Father. And then I'll come and I will take you, you'll be with me, with the Father. And so this was a new revelation. I mean, as we read this, this was a new revelation to the disciples. We, we know how they viewed Jesus. I mean, as you, under, as you grow in your understanding of the scriptures and, and the culture of that day and what the expectation was surrounding the Messiah, we understand the concept of the Messiah that the disciples had. They believed that Jesus was going to establish an earthly kingdom they believed that he was going to sit as, as king in Jerusalem and that he was going to rule over all the nations and kingdoms of the earth. They believed the Messiah would judge the world. But the idea that he would return to the Father, this idea that he would return to the Father and then he would come again and take them to be with him, with the Father, was entirely a new revelation. It's not, it's not told anywhere else in the scripture Prior to John chapter 14, it's a new revelation. This, we call it the rapture. Flip with me in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians 4. All the tea books are together, okay? It's my rule, I always remember. Find one tea, you're in the zone, okay? 1 Thessalonians 4 kind of contains, it's one of two passages that are, crucial to our understanding of what Jesus revealed to the disciples in John 14. The other one is uh, understanding the rapture. The other one is 1 Corinthians, a portion of 1 Corinthians 15, which we're going to look at this morning quickly too. But let's check this out. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13 to 17. It says this. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of a trumpet, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Now when we talk about the second coming of Christ, the Bible tells us tons of information about the second coming of Christ. The Old Testament prophecies, the Old Testament prophets prophesy a lot about it. The Gospels in Matthew, Mark, uh, Luke, John, Jesus foreshadows a lot of things, talks about a lot of things with regards to his second coming. Um, they say, I mean, I didn't look up the numbers, but I, I think it's like two to one or three to one with regards to the number of prophecies that have to do with the second coming as compared to the first advent of Jesus, okay? 
I think the numbers, I think they say it's like 300 prophecies about his first coming. And so with regards to his second, you know, multiplied times two. But the reality is this. The picture or the revelation, the teaching, the explanation, the understanding of the rapture is not revealed in Old Testament prophecy. It's nowhere in the Bible until you get to John chapter 14. And what we shouldn't miss about John 14 was the things that Jesus taught his disciples. John 14 sandwiched, John 13 to 17 is one teaching. Jesus is sitting with the 12. It's the night he's betrayed. They're in the upper room. They're hanging out. He's praying with them. They're eating together. He's teaching them. It was the night that he was betrayed, the night of his arrest, the night before he was crucified. So Jesus waits until the very night before he's crucified to reveal to his disciples this truth about the rapture of the church. And remember, these words were to comfort them. They're about to go into some serious turmoil. And so it's, it's, it's comfort for them. Now the disciples, they didn't know the difference between the first and second coming of Jesus. They certainly, we, and we understand that. I mean, we read the Bible and we get that now. You know, we can look back with hindsight and we can go, oh look, when the prophets are prophesying about the coming of the Messiah, they're speaking of two comings. They're separate events. Before the first advent, before the first coming, everyone looked at them and they said, it's one event. We don't understand how it all fits together. Then they begin to see, oh, there's two comings. The first advent at the birth of Christ and the second when he, when he comes again. And so the disciples didn't know the difference between the first and second coming. And so they certainly didn't understand the coming of Jesus to rapture his church and the second coming to rule and judge the earth. Those two are two different things. The rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ to rule on the earth. And I would say this, as, as followers of Jesus, as New Testament believers, we need to grasp this. That often when we speak of the second coming, we lump together the rapture of the church and the second coming uh, of Jesus for the, for, physical, for the physical rule of Christ on the earth. They're two separate events. The coming of Christ for his church and the second coming of Christ to rule and to judge the earth. Now with regards to the second coming of Christ to rule and, and, and judge um, the dead actually the Bible prophesies like I said tons of information. Tons of information that's connected to the second coming of Jesus. Like let me mention a few things Well, we talked about last week. The, the future destruction of Damascus, the battle of Gog and Magog, the rise of the Antichrist, one world government, one world financial system, the third temple, Middle East peace agreement, the abomination of desolation, the battle of Armageddon, natural disasters, signs in the heavens, uh, strange spiritual activity, the list goes on and on and on with regards to what the Bible prophesies that will precede the second coming of Jesus. Tons of things that are unfulfilled and that, that are getting ready to happen. I, yeah, I, don't even I didn't even mention the great tribulation. How much time is invested teaching us about that in the scriptures. Now unlike the second coming of Jesus, 
the rapture of the church is never presented in the Bible with having a preceding event. Second coming has all these events. But the rapture is never presented with any preceding event. It's just taught. It's just explained. The only preceding event I would say is this. Is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because he told his disciples on the night before he was betrayed about this. That I'm going to go to the Father. And then I'll come and take you to be with me. And when we think of Jesus, where's Jesus? Where is he? He's in heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He, he's in heaven preparing a place for you and me. And the Bible does not teach that there is any preceding event that is going to take place before he comes for his church. The term that we use to describe that in Christianity and Christendom is what? Imminency. We believe in the imminent return of Christ to rapture his church. Imminent means this. This is about to happen. That's what imminent means. To say this is about to happen. And that's why Jesus emphasized the need to be ready for his return. To be watching. To be prepared. To have oil in your lamp. To have your light burning. To have your wick trimmed. Watching like the parable. Lamps trimmed and burning. An outward light in your life that is shining from an inward source. The power of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul defines the rapture of the church. To, to this church in Thessalonica. In this way. Look at verse 16 with me again. He says for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of a command. Of command. With the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. If you look exactly at what verse 13 it says, it says this. But we do not want you to be uninformed brothers. We do not want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as those who have no hope. Paul wanted the church to be aware and to understand the facts of their faith so that they would be ready when Christ comes, so that they would understand, so that they would be informed. And specifically, he spoke to them about those who had passed away. While they were waiting for Jesus to come, those who had died uh, and and he says this, that as followers of Jesus, we don't grieve in the same way. We don't grieve without hope because we have hope. Because Jesus is going to come. You know, I, I say that and, I, and, and we all know the reality. The church has been waiting for 2,000 years, right? 2,000 years we've been waiting for Jesus. We've been waiting for the imminent return. This is about to happen. Millions have died. Millions of followers of Jesus have died waiting for the imminent return of Christ. And you know, Peter said this, that one of the signs of the last days would be this, that the church would say, where is this coming our father spoke of? Where is this coming that he spoke of? 
And you know, whenever I think about that, I'm just, I'm just reminded that in my own heart, in our hearts as a church, we have to guard against that attitude that would say, well, my parents were talking about that. My, grand, my grandpa was really into that. You know, previous generations. The second we say that, we're fulfilling what Peter warned, that the church would be saying that when Jesus came again. And so Paul tells this church that those in Christ will be raised to life when Jesus comes. Verse 14 again. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. The word of God tells us that Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. That he himself, in other words, in him, we also will be raised from the dead if we pass before his coming. Now that might seem like a lot to, to grasp, but your ability to understand this truth about the resurrection of the dead hinges, Paul says on this, on your belief that Jesus rose from the dead. If you don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead, you will never understand the resurrection of the dead. You have to believe that Jesus rose from the dead and then you begin to understand God's going to raise me from the dead. He's going to raise the followers of Jesus from previous um, generations from the dead. If God has raised Jesus from the dead and Jesus is the first fruit of the resurrection, that means that if we're in Christ and we die before his coming, we will be raised to life. So Paul says, when Christ comes... When he comes for his church at the rapture, first, those who are dead in Christ will rise. You know what the Bible says? I, a passage, it's just such a, uh, a scripture of comfort for lots of us. That to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present at the Lord. But at the coming of Christ for his church, those who are present with him and yet void of a physical body, that's when they'll receive their resurrection body. So Paul's telling us that they will come with him and their bodies will be raised and those bodies without, or those spirits without a physical body will receive their resurrection body. The spirit will be joined to the resurrection body. That's the first thing that happened. Then he says, and those who are still alive will then join them in the air. You know, one of the things I think we miss sometimes in the scriptures is this, is that as we talk about the rapture, what we forget to recognize sometimes is that the rapture is a resurrection. It is the resurrection of the righteous who are in Christ. That's when it's going to happen, when Jesus comes in the air. And then those who are alive will join him. And so at the rapture, the dead in Christ are raised, and believers who are alive are caught up into heaven. This is where the second coming is different. From the rapture of the church. Because the Bible tells us at the second coming of Jesus. When, when he comes to rule and to reign on earth. Believers will not join him in the air. They'll remain on earth. In fact the church that was raptured. Will return with Jesus to the earth. Will come with him. For in heaven. And so the rapture and the second coming are two different and distinct events. You know, 1 Corinthians, we're going to turn there in a moment, but it says it, it happens in a twinkling of an eye. 
that it will have, isn't that a great line from the Bible? In the twinkling of an eye. I was reading about that. They say that the, like, I don't know how fast it is. An eye twinkles in a fraction of a second, right? So the, a- the average eye has that blink, that twinkle about 25 times a minute. And I read this, that if you drove 100 kilometers per hour for 10 hours, you would drive a total of a little more than 50 kilometers with your eyes closed. Isn't that amazing to kind of think about that your eyes just, you don't even know what's happening, man. It's just like boom, 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 boom. And the Bible says this is going to happen. When this happens, it will be in the twinkle of an eye. That rapture. Pretty cool. And so Paul tells the Thessalonians, in keeping with what Jesus told the 12 in John 14, that Jesus was coming to take his followers to be with him. That they would be where he was in his father's house. And, the, and that they would remain in heaven until the second coming and the events that preceded it were complete. Revelation 19, I just want to read it to you, tells us about, about the procession from heaven when Jesus comes again. And we're with him, the saints. You can come bring that up on the screen. I'll just read it to you. John wrote this. Revelation 19, 11 through 15. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he is a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. We know who this is. This is Jesus. Verse 14. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. Sorry, of the wrath of God the Almighty. Verse 16, on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Revelation 19, that's the second coming. And and John sees the armies of heaven, those who are in heaven with Christ, they come with him at his second coming. Now, like I said, remember when Paul speaks to the church, um, there's no preceding events with regards to the rapture. That means it could happen any time. And so the hope of the rapture is meant to be a source of of comfort for the church. It's not meant to be something to scoff at. It's meant to give you comfort. It's mysterious. But it's real. You know, I was I was thinking this week, I was just I was out in the parking lot, and I just had one of those moments. I know you guys have these moments too. I'm like, wow, what if you came now, Lord? It's like I know there's all sorts of what if you came right now? No, right now, you know, that joke. <laughs> Whatever, okay. Now. So Paul also spoke to the Corinthians about this mystery. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. To them, he called it a mystery, actually. Right now. No. First Corinthians 15, we'll pick it up in verse 51. And... I always love that word behold in the scripture. That means behold. It means you need to stop and think here right now. Just stop and consider this. And so in verse 51, Paul says to the Corinthians, behold, 
I will tell you a mystery. Now let's just pause there for a second. The rapture is mysterious, isn't it? It's mysterious. When Paul says, I will tell you a mystery, he's saying, I will tell you something that's hidden. And it's secret. It's a mystery that is not obvious to the understanding of the human mind. But, but he says, God pulls back the curtain essentially and he lets us in on this mystery as we follow Jesus and as we read the scriptures. And so when Paul says this, behold, I tell you a mystery. This is God pulling back the curtain of his plan. He's letting his church in on a secret The mystery. And so he goes on. He says this. We shall not all sleep. But we shall all be changed. In a moment. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Amen. Paul tells the Corinthian church the same thing that he told to the church in Thessalonica. That is this. That the rapture isn't just for a living church. The rapture is also for those who are dead in Christ. It's a resur- this is their resurrection. The rapture. And the living church will join them in the air. The mortal will put on immortality. We will no longer be subject to death. Eternal life will be a reality in the human Body as it is transformed from mortal flesh into immortal. Isn't that cool? It's just cool, man. The Bible's so awesome. There will be victory over death. Our victory over death will be a reality in Christ when he comes for his church. It's not on the screen, but I'll, I'll read on. It says in verse 55, O death, where is your sting? Or sorry, oh death, where's your victory? Oh death, where's your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 58, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And so Paul tells the church, in in light of our victory over death, in in light of the reality of the imminent return of Christ Jesus, that that we need to be about making the most of our opportunities and redeeming the time and making the most of time and opportunity for Jesus. He says, be steadfast. He says, be loyal, man. Be loyal to Jesus. Be committed. Be resolute in your commitment to Jesus. Be unwavering. I love that old hymn. On Christ the solid rock I stand. You stand on the rock. You be steadfast. 
immovable. He says, abound in the work of the Lord. What's he saying? He's saying, be abundant in the things of the kingdom. Be plentiful in the work of the, be fruitful for the kingdom. He says, he says, know that your labor is not in vain. You know what it is to, to labor in vain? That means this, to work and to produce no results. It sucks, doesn't it? You, you feel like that sometime in life, right? You're like, man, producing no results. But what Paul says is this to the church. He says this, when you labor for Jesus, there is no such thing as no results. Your labor is never in vain when you labor for the kingdom. You know, I just heard the most amazing story that just so blessed me uh, recently. Carrie told us in men's prayer a couple weeks ago, and it was to do with a a fellow who had been a a local pastor here on the Sunshine Coast, 80s, 90s, something like that. Heinrich? Randy Heinrich. Randy pastored the Davis Bay Gospel Church, and he was an older fellow, older, older pastor at that time, and eventually he got chased out of town. And, uh, and, and Randy had gone, uh, at, at decades earlier, he had gone to the prairies to plant a church. And he labored in this community, and he struggled, and he labored, and he labored, and the soil was hard, and it was hard work, and it was the most, he said, the most frustrating experience for him in ever serving God was trying to establish and plant a church in that community. Do you know the name of that community? Anybody got a guess? Humboldt, Saskatchewan. Do you know the name of the church he planted? Humboldt Bible Church. And two weeks ago, you know the story, I mean, I ta- I t- we all know what happened in Humboldt. But two weeks ago, the chaplain of that hockey team, the pastor of Humboldt Bible Church, on national TV just preached Jesus, man. And we were, just, we were just thanking God, you know, in men's prayers we were talking about it because it was like, when you labor for Jesus, you do not labor in vain. I just thought that was the fruit of the roots, you know, Randy's work for the kingdom. Your labor is not in vain. You know, when we talk about the rapture, we have to realize that it's, it's not the promise of life without tribulation, is it? It's, it's not, you know, it's not the promise of life without persecution, without hard times. We look at the 12 and what they ended all up going through. I mean, minus John and Judas. The 10 that were left gave their lives for Jesus. Jesus said this to those who were following him. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. You will have trouble in this world. But, he said, take heart. I have overcome the world. And the rapture, the rapture of the church is meant to be comfort for us. It's a message of comfort. It's a message that says, Jesus has overcome this world. And and if we put our hope in Jesus, then take heart. Because we will participate with him as overcomers of this world. Hebrews 10.37 is going to come up on the screen. It says this. For yet, 
for yet a little while. And the coming one will come and will not delay. And will not delay. That, that verse no doubt has to do with the coming of Jesus. The rapture of the church. Where both the dead and the living in Christ will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And, and for us, you know, when we consider that, that will be the end of problems, man. That will be the end of the conflicts that dominate our lives. That will be the end of death and sickness and, and sin when we meet the Lord in the air. The blessed hope we refer to it as. The ultimate solution for our problems is Jesus, right? It's Jesus, to be with Jesus. You know, I just was thinking about it as I was considering that. I came into the kingdom, you know how I came into the kingdom? By looking to Jesus for my salvation. By looking to Jesus. And he promised that he is both the author and the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. And the ultimate hope of his power to solve all of life's challenges is consummated in his rapture of his church when the dead in Christ are raised and those who are alive are translated and transformed in the blink of the eye. That's why we say it's the blessed hope. The blessed hope. You know, I'm not being fatalistic, but there'll be hard days ahead, right? Some of you have gone through hard days recently. Some have been in those experiences. For others, you know, the day is coming when there'll be trials and there'll be tribulations. Maybe persecution. We're certainly not above, you know, when I think about just what's going on in the world, I mean, we have life pretty good here on the Sunshine Coast, don't we? We're not above what brothers and sisters are going through for the name of Jesus all around the world. But the hope of the gospel and the hope of the rapture is this, that, is that Jesus is coming to rescue He's coming to rescue. And he came and he rescued through the cross and one day, maybe it's really soon, he will come to the rescue again and he will take us to be with him where he is. Jesus is coming. Take hope. You know, Peter said this in 1 Peter 4, 7, the end of all things is near. The end of of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober minds and of sober minds that you may pray. Look, life on this world, in this world, is not gonna go on forever. This is a tent, this body. One day it's gonna be folded up and I'm gonna move into a mansion. <laughs> and, and we're pilgrims. And the pilgrimage could be cut short by the coming of the Lord. And that should encourage us and that should motivate us to be alert, to be sober-minded, to be prayerful. The rapture of the church, not meant to scare us, is hope for the believer. It's the blessed hope. Come, Lord Jesus. That's what I say, man. When I think about this stuff, come, Lord Jesus.